Hello, Tent Talk listeners. This is Chris Marchand, and I wanted to make you aware of the release of Gentle Spacemakers, music from the Tent Talks podcast, and also to remind you of our Patreon page. Over the past couple of years, I've recorded a number of songs to go along with our episodes, and I finally collected them all to release as a soundtrack for the podcast. Each one of the tracks was inspired by a phrase or idea from one of our episodes. You can listen to the album on all the streaming platforms or head to chrismarchand.bandcamp.com to download the album and liner notes. Or we wanted to make you aware that we're giving away the album to all of our Patreon supporters. Do you like what we do? Well, now is a great time to become a fellow traveler as a Patreon supporter, where not only can you listen to the new album, but you'll also be able to enjoy every episode of Stephen's Mark and Book of Acts Bible Studies, as well as other bonus episodes. Head over to patreon.com slash tenttheology if you're interested, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. podcast where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination. From time to time, churches and other groups hire me as a tent theologian to act as a sort of consultant, helping them think Christianly about whatever it is they're going through. St. Luke's Church in London hired me a few months ago to go through the Sermon on the Mount with them and I recorded a series of conversations with the vicar, John, and with other guests who came and joined our conversation from time to time. They were kind enough to allow these recordings to be released on the podcast. I hope you enjoy hearing them as much as we enjoyed making them. series two looking at the sermon on the mount we are going to be looking at truth-telling oaths and the 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 like and uh, quite differently actually from series one where we took quite large chunks of scripture sermon on the mount only covers three three to four chapters and so we are we're going in i guess a bit more detail than we might do otherwise um Mm. with longer chapters like we did with mark so here we are we're going to take a short passage you've got your bibles with you or um uh, if you're tuning in, then we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter five, beginning at verse 33 and uh, to verse 37. So okay. quite short, five verses or whatever it is. Yeah, let's um, see what happens when we talk about this. Absolutely right. So I'm going to read um, from N.T. Wright, if that's all right. Mm-hmm. It's all right with Wright. Uh, here we are again. Jesus is speaking. You heard it. You heard that it was said to the people long ago. You shall not swear falsely, but you shall give to the Lord what you promised under oath. But I say to you, don't swear at all. Don't swear by heaven. It's God's throne. Don't swear by the earth. It's God's footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king. Don't swear by your head. You can't make one hair of it turn white or black. When you're talking, say yes when you mean yes. And no when you mean no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. There we go. Great. I also wonder, I've just now realized that I'd like to, I think, I think the book of James talks about this. Yes. Did you know that? Did you, did you pick that I up? Didn't, well, I did know it. It's, it was one of those editorial things when you're, I mean, when I preached on it on Sunday that, you know, I decided to not mention it not because i didn't think it was important because in the editing process it's the bit i hate the most is editing sermons because you want to say it all yeah james five talks about it okay james has like a a sort of a commentary like james incorporates a lot of the sermon on the mount or you can tell that the james is reflecting on it and using it into if sermon on the mount is the Jesus teaching, then James is trying to put it into practice inside a church. Yeah, okay. Which is good, which is interesting. Yeah. So James is worth looking at. So uh, how did you preach on this? What did you say when you had to preach on this? Well, I talked about truth-telling because on one level, yeah. he starts off using, obviously, the practice of oaths and what that means for law courts and, you know, 
when you swear an oath, this, that, and the other. But actually, obviously, what he then boils down to is actually it needs to be your whole life. Your, when you let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so I, I talked about truth-telling, about the importance of, of telling the truth. Uh, on one level, that's very simple. Telling the truth is important. Telling We would all value telling the truth. No, no, no one here would say, oh, no, truth-telling isn't, you know, we want to be around but liars. And uh, But actually, the nuance of the challenge of that, though, in certain circumstances, because sometimes truth-telling isn't always the most helpful or even the most ethical thing. So yeah. uh, I got a little bit into a kind of the nuances of truth-telling when right. it's not so clear-cut. And Scott McKnight talks about it really well in his commentary. And okay. um, I mean, he poses the question, and we will get there in a moment, because I think the truth-telling thing, why, why is truth-telling important, I think is really fundamental to understand the why, not just the instruction. Mm-hmm. But Scott McKnight kind of poses the question, if you're, if you're well, we just talked about the man in the high castle just earlier watching TV shows, but if you are 19, early 1940s and you are hiding Anne Frank in your... right in your loft and there's a knock at the door, you know, from the authorities, do you, and they say, are you hiding anybody? You know, the truth, the truth telling would be, yes, I am. What does he think you should do about that? So he doesn't, he thinks it's okay to lie. Well, he then cites Bonhoeffer. Yeah. But I think we'll get onto that in a moment because I want to kind of talk about the, what I think the principles are behind truth telling, why it's important. Because I think for me, the reason I said that truth telling is important is because I think it's the essence of, what, what it feels to me that Jesus is doing throughout these kind of mini case studies is, mm-hmm. you know, I, what, we, what I've kind of set up in our Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus has these case studies of yeah, how to yeah. live out the, this idea that he is the fulfillment and completion of the law. Yeah, right. Reason this is like, this is what I'm not come to abolish it, but I have come to fulfill it. And this is what it looks like. And, and we talked before about Scott, Scott McKnight talks about the whole idea of, um, the Jesus creed and, you know, to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that, that, if you like, is, is the, is the mandate. And then the Sermon on the Mount is the, this is how you live it out. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and so in this case, wh- what I find interesting is that actually in each of these cases, Jesus, uh, what seems to be drawing out is that by being angry towards somebody or to commit adultery in our heart or with our eyes as it were and Uh in this case the third case study is you know let your yes be yes to lie is is something there's something about the the it breaks our humanity with other people these aren't rules just to buy by for our own sake but actually it's something about the humanity of of one another that if i like yeah and if i lie to you stephen or even if I kind of allow you to believe something that isn't true, even I talked about the nuances of like what Jesus is talking about here is honesty, but there's huge range of avoiding honesty. It goes from outright lies all the way through to just allowing you to believe something that's not true and me happy right. to kind of step back. You know, there's ways that, in which I can do that. And if I, any of those things on the spectrum, if I outright lie to your face, if I give you a half truth or a mistruth, or even just allow you to believe something that isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about that that breaks a connection between you and I. That we that are yeah, right. Yeah. That our humanity and and what it is to be in relationship with one another in the created order is about connectedness. So this is like that same element we've been watching where Jesus makes the where people are tempted or or they're they're are kind of addicted to the idea of thinking of themselves as following like checklists, like they're, they're checking yeah. off certain lists. He always makes it much more individual or personal. So he's not individualistic, but he is personal. And he says, no, it's about you and your, how you are thinking and treating another person. It's not about how kind of the bare minimum you can get away with. Yeah. So it's not a, a, a rule-based or a, a law-based way of thinking where you kind of say, well, I've, I've checked that box. I'm fine. Yeah. Or that doesn't apply to me, so I'm fine. He kind of says, "No. What, what if it did apply to you? Like, what if, yeah. what if the, uh, do, the you shall not murder applied to every single human being, whether they've physically murdered somebody or not? What would that right. look like? You know yeah. what? And I guess that there's something here. He's you're right. He's personalizing it, making it to be about you and your how you carry yourself. Yeah, because to be yeah. angry with somebody or to or to look at somebody lustfully is to objectify and is to distance yourself from them. Uh, and it's the same with telling the truth. That... So you're talking a lot about the truth telling here, but you're not talking about 
swearing oaths, which I, I think we should talk about here. Well, that is the beginning. Because he doesn't say you shall not lie. He says you shall not swear oaths, which is, which you're right. Truth telling is a huge part of it, but it's the oath part that, that begins this passage, right? Yeah. And I, and I think the reason, that. I guess what I, I, I use that as a standing point to then leap into the truth telling stuff, because, yeah. because the oath, as far as I understood it, the oaths were about presenting ourselves before God. You know, when we swear an oath, whether in the law court or, or indeed, in my case, I've sworn an oath to my bishop. That is, a, is essentially, it's like I'm placing myself in the presence of God in doing so. So calling upon the name of God. Yeah. And say, I swear before God that I'm telling the truth. Um, well, I don't think you should have done that. I actually, yeah. I, I, I don't think that the, the oaths that you had, that you swore to the queen and the bishop, I, to be perfectly frank, I think yeah, those, are, those are the oaths that Jesus is talking about here. Yeah. Those are the kinds of oaths. Yeah. Um, when Americans pledge allegiance to the flag. Yeah. That's one of the oaths. When somebody stands in court and they put their hand on a Bible, for example, yeah, that's one of the, that is the, the those are all examples of things that Christians do now all the time, thinking that that's part of their Christian duty, and that is the sort of thing Jesus said don't do. Yeah, and so I want to look at that. Yeah. I do think this is a it really interestingly this is this is like a major it's overlooked a lot, but it's actually kind of a major point in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, it's a major. It's a it's a real rupture between how humans are supposed to carry themselves, how followers of Jesus are meant to carry themselves in public. Yeah. So yeah. Where, so, where I, so we'll go back to the oath in a minute. But where I took it was if, if swearing an oath, wherever you do that in the law court or indeed in the church, as it was with my case, yeah. um, uh, is essentially presenting yourself before God as if to say that only now will I be honest because I've suddenly said this oath. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and Jesus yeah. is saying, well, hang on a minute, surely yeah. you understand that God is everywhere. You, yeah. God is your witness, whether in private or in public, whether in yeah. the law court or in the market yeah. square. Yeah. You know, you've so got it's, to, so that's where, where That's why I came to to say, actually, it's about honesty with our whole yeah, That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And it's, it's like these oaths are being used as a proxy or a substitute for us actually being honest. So it's like, well, I made yeah. the oath. And I went through the motions and I did this publicly. And rather than actually being a, a, a faithful person, you just go through the motions of checking the boxes of being a faithful person. Right. Yeah. And that's where Jesus is drawing this line. But so you the, wouldn't um, you wouldn't swear if you were uh, Stephen Backhouse no, was, uh, put into the, uh, the witness dock. No. And you wouldn't swear on the Bible then. No. My grandfather, uh, apparently, I don't know if this is I don't know how true this is, but apparently my grandfather he was a, a, a psychiatric nurse. And so he, he had a lot of violent patients. He's the kind of nurse that had to like manhandle violent patients right, and put yeah, them, you know, back. Yeah. Right. And so because of his job, I think he, he had to appear in court every once in a while because sometimes right. his patients did things. Yeah. And he, because of this verse, he, um, and, and things like this, he refused to, to swear on the Bible and stuff. And it's really interesting because, it was one of those times where the judge eventually was like, oh, well, you are a trustworthy person, so I'm going to accept you in this court, right? And it was one of those times where it's kind of like my grandfather didn't decide I'm going to have nothing to do with the court. What he did is he said, I am fully happy to participate in this process, but I will not swear on the Bible. What do you think? Do you still want me? Right. So do you see what happened? Like he gave the court the decision whether they were going to use him or not. He didn't whether, decide. Whether his testimony was valid or not. Yeah. And I, I do find this is a really interesting position. I think he's very right to do that because that seems to be the kinds of thing Jesus is talking about here where he's like, it's not a position of judgment. I'm not telling you to like tell the whole world to just go to hell. I'm saying participate in the world, but do it in your own terms. And if they accept you, then they've accepted you. And if they don't accept you, well, then they you're not good enough for them. <laughs> like they don't want what you're offering, right? You tell me this is, in, in many ways, it feels completely uncontroversial to say, let your yes be yes, and your no be no, and tell the truth in all circumstances. And some of those circumstances might be in a law court, in which case, tell the truth again, just as you would do in the market yeah. square, just yeah. as you would do in private, just as you would do with your family and your friends, tell the truth. So, how have we come about to a position where 2000 years after this has been spoken? Yeah. We're still 
in fact, Christian tradition has led us to the point of swearing oaths. It, yeah, I know. Because we're, well, I mean, I know I'm a broken record, but it is, it is kind of to do with the sort of patriotism, nationalism that I was talking about, which is why when I talked about the, the Pledge of Allegiance, but also it's the same thing, like you had to swear an oath to the Queen to become a vicar, for example, yeah. uh, in the Church of England. And those are, the, those are the kinds of oaths that Jesus is talking about here. They're the kinds of public declarations you make to prove yourself to be a good, upstanding citizen, right? So he's not talking about necess- the, the kind of oaths that people are taking. They're not like, it's not like if I said to you, I just saw a dog with yellow spots. I swear to you by heaven that I'm telling the truth, right? It's not like that. It's more these kind of... Um, the sorts of declarations you make to, to grease the wheels of society to keep yourself a good upstanding member. These are the kind of oaths he's talking about, including marketplace type oaths, like the, the kind of ones to do with business transactions, the ones to do with oaths of allegiance or loyalty to various institutions. Those are the kind of things he's talking about here. And what you had was this culture of, in the Hebrew culture, I mean, the Jews knew that you're not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain, right? Yeah, yeah. So what you'd have is an elaborate sort of almost like concentric circles of, of uh, uh, the more important the oath was you had to take, if the closer you would get to God without actually saying God, right? Which is why you get this like, well, I swear by Jerusalem, the holy city, or I swear by yeah. the heavens, or I swear, you know, and that, or you could swear by your own life. So the idea is that the Lord is the in charge of your life. So when you swear by your own life, you're also sort of flirting with talking about the divinity there, right? Yeah. And these, these, these are, are the, all these are all substitute terms. They're all substitutes for God, yeah. but they're all also sort of attempts to like publicly demonstrate how committed you are to the thing that you are pledging allegiance. Right. So, which means if you're like only swearing by your own life versus yeah. the heavens, yeah, you're like I'm not so sure I believe this guy as much as if he's by the heavens. And one of the problems with this is that is that people were rather than actually being good neighbors they were going through an elaborate show of being a good neighbor and swearing about it and and skirting as close as they could to the name of god without actually saying it so jesus comes along and he's like rather than going through this elaborate pantomime uh what what you actually are is a lying blasphemer (laughs) you can't get away from god jerusalem is god's footstool the heavens is god's throne your head belongs to god uh all these things that you're doing you're actually just blaspheming anyway. You're taking God's name in vain anyway, all because you are not a trustworthy person, right? So stop being a lying blasphemer and start just being honest in yourself. Start just being trustworthy in yourself. Yeah. yeah. And don't go through these displays of outward allegiance, right? And and I do I do genuinely, honestly think that that these pledges and these oaths that we all have to take, they are binding us to idolatrous. They are idolatry. That's what's happening. We're being bound to human institutions, which are claiming from us more than they should. They are claiming a a level of allegiance and identity, which they should not. Yeah. I mean, that's why this is why I'm not an Anglican vicar that my church wanted me to, to, um, to administer the commun to help administer communion. Oh yeah, yeah. And to do that, I had to go. Th- I sh- I I had to uh, to sign an oath that I was going to pledge an oath to the Church of England. <laughs> and I, look, I like my church; it's absolutely fine. Like peace be on them. I'm not going to sign an oath to them. <laughs> you know. So it's like, so yeah, I don't I don't want to do that. So interesting how these these things have just become woven into the tapestry of tradition or yeah you know and they are all about citizenship right like all these things we're talking about they are all about sort of demonstrating your allegiance to this tradition or this institution Uh, and this is why you know with my political theology hat on i see this as a really deeply political thing which by the way like you know you do you know about the anabaptists yeah well actually no forget about the anabaptists even earlier on that than that was the earliest christians they wouldn't do the oaths that were required of them for allegiance to Caesar, for example, because they recognized how political, like the oaths that they didn't do were the political oaths. Those were the ones they weren't doing based on this kind of stuff. 
So they really got it right away that that was this was the connection here. It had to do with binding yourself to a nation or an empire or yeah, that's what they were were refusing to do. But interestingly, they weren't then turning around and waging some kind of violent rebellion against Rome. Right. So they weren't like burn it all down and raise up arms and fight it. They were just, well, we're not going to fight you. We're just not going to pledge allegiance to you. What do you want to do with us? Over to you. What are you going to do about it? Right? Yeah. And throughout history, some nations and empires have lived with that when they find Christians who do that. But by and large, uh, the Christians get persecuted. The ones who try and not pledge those oaths, they get persecuted. Right. Usually in the history of Christianity, they're being persecuted by other Christians, by the way. Because Rome became Christianized pretty early on. And so to pledge allegiance to Rome was now to pledge allegiance to some sort of Christianized version of Rome. And ever since then, it's been the Christians who have had power and they wield it against other Christians who refuse to pledge allegiance to their power structures. Yeah. So in a moment, we're going to talk about what we talked about near the beginning, which is around the nuance of truth telling. You know, fundamentally, you don't swear oaths because we, you know, you need need to live a life of honesty and. So how do you do that in some pretty complicated situations like the situation that um, Scott McKnight kind of alludes to? Yeah. Um, but before that, we've got a question that's come in and I think it's really helpful and pertinent. We are straying now into kind of more political theology. So, Well, if you didn't lucky. want that, you shouldn't have got me here. <laughs> well, lucky, lucky for us, we have a political theologian in the room and it's not me. So do you not think? that at some point as Christians, this is the question that's come in, at some point yeah. as Christians followed the call of Christ to make disciples of all nations, it was inevitable that nations would therefore be converted, that leaders of nations would become Christians, a la Christ- Constantine, I'm guessing, and that we would end up in a situation where we have a national church, or certainly Christians in powerful positions. I've added that bit on. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's how inevitable it is. I, all right, let's let's break this down. Let's attack the question. <laughs> I can see who wrote it, so I'm. Uh, you you know I like you. You know I'm not attacking you personally, but uh, let's attack the question a bit, right? Like they make disciples of all nations. So making a disciple of a nation. When you go and look at Matthew 28, what you're doing is you're calling people out of their nations into yours. You're not converting the nation. You're bringing people out of it. So when you make disciples of a nation, you are drawing them out of their home culture or their inherited traditions, and you're drawing them into the new kingdom, which, by the way, this is what the Sermon on the Mount is, right? It's the manifesto for the new people of God, which is why oath telling is so keeping is so important to Jesus, because he's like, don't keep binding yourself to other kingdoms. Don't and keep nation, binding yourself. That nation imagery, would you say, I, I'm, I'm not going to try. So the con- nation is not a, a, a bordered, there wasn't passports and border control. The right. nation but, was but an is ethnic that, Is that why heritage. we get Paul, uh, Paul giving this kind of idea that we are the new Israel? Is that where that Yeah, comes? exactly. So the early Christians are thinking of themselves as a new people group. Yeah. And it's not geographically located, by the right. way. So we got to stop thinking of nations. Nations and, and states are not the same thing. It's not ethnically decide, uh, divided either. because they no. So the early church was made up of multiple ethnicities were now calling themselves one nation and they were geographically located all across the land. So they weren't thinking we only want to have one type of ethnicity in one type of geographical state. That's not what they were thinking, which is the logic of a lot of nationalism and nation state stuff. So when they talked about drawing, uh, making disciples of all nations, they mean like go out and preach to the Gentiles and the Jews and the Persians, right? and the Chinese and the Spanish and the Indians and whoever it is that we know about, go and preach to them and make disciples out of those people. And call them into. And call them into the new nation, a new, you're a new people, a Royal priesthood, right? So it's, it's overtly political because it's all about offering an alternative. It's all about not having allegiance to the groups you were born into. And it's, but it's not about dominate the nation and run it. They're not trying to run a nation. And the Sermon on the Mount is not a rule of life for, for the world. It's a rule of life for the people of God, not for everybody. It's for people who call themselves followers of Jesus. H- historically, we can see this absolutely happening, that as 
people who call themselves Christians became in charge of their countries, the Sermon on the Mount stops being paid attention to. It falls by the wayside. They either stop talking about it completely because you can't run a country according to the Sermon on the Mount, or they privatize it. And they say that it's uh, for personal, it's, it's just for private consumption. But as soon as you have any public positions of power, you shouldn't, you, you don't need to follow the Sermon on the Mount anymore. But of course, the irony is, is that all the, the lessons Jesus gives, all the examples you talked about, they're all public, including this one. This is about your public life. Yeah. Turn the other cheek and going the extra mile, which we're going to look at later. That's about a public response to a public act of violence. Um, so all of these things are public. Jesus is talking about them in a he's assuming that that the, the followers are going to be acting in public, that they're part of their wider com community. And he's saying act according to a different rule. So would it be inevitable that these nations would be converted? Well, no nation has ever been converted. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. There's no such thing as a Christian nation. There's lots of nations that have been shaped by a Christianized form of law, but a nation yeah. cannot profess that Jesus is Lord. So, so even if you're to park that, um, yeah. the bit of the question that I'm interested in is what happens then when leaders, yeah. is, when it says it would be inevitable that leaders would become Christians. Yeah. So, so you know, the example that is most obvious, but may not be as, um, you know, it depends on what you mean by conversion, would be Constantine. Yeah. Well, um, I know. So the question really is then, what happens then if you're in a, in a place of political leadership, is it, you talked about, you know, you form a new nation. Is it that, for example, at, at the point of Constantine's conversion, that actually yeah. what he should have done was leave, leave his position as emperor of Rome? Can I just point out that Constantine understood this problem better than we do now because he did not get converted. Do you know that he chose not to be baptized? He left baptism until his deathbed. Did you know that? No, I didn't. And through his entire political career, he kept the pagan symbols and the Christian symbols both going on his iconography. He printed coins that had pagan symbols and Christian symbols. He basically was hedging his bets or he was backing two different horses. And he deliberately did not take baptism until his deathbed because he knew that if he was going to become baptized, he wasn't allowed to kill his enemies. And guess what? You can't be the emperor of Rome if you're going to kill your enemies. So he actually understood more than we do now that there are some jobs you can't do and be a follower of Jesus. Which raises the obvious question. Can you be president of America? You can't be in charge. You can't deliberately try and seek the death of any of any human being and be a follower of the way of Jesus. For for example, which does mean there's a lot of jobs out there in this world that are that are really hard to do. Now, this is where you tell the difference between being a Christian. See, this is the question kept asking about being a Christian. I'm like, well, you can be a Christian and be all sorts of things, obviously. You cannot be a follower of the way of Jesus okay. and do all sorts of things. And there is a difference. So we're not talking about Christian history about, here. And you're not, I know you, would you talk even about salvation here? Are you saying there's a... No, I'm not talking about... Uh, the Lord is merciful and kind and the Lord will save whoever the Lord wants to save. That's not up to me. I'm not talking about whether you're going to see somebody in heaven or not. I'm just saying like, you know, when... When somebody who's, who's dropping atomic bombs on their enemies or picking up handguns to blow their enemies away, when they sh finally show up and they do it all in uh, calling themselves good Christians and they show up at the pearly gates and Jesus is going to say, well, welcome to heaven. Uh, did you follow my way? And they're going to have to honestly say, no, I didn't. You know, did you? Did you put all your energy that you could into finding ways to love your enemies rather than kill them? Did you, did you, not, did you find ways to not cleave to the institutions and the patriotism around you, but to show your worth to your neighbors in other ways? No, I didn't do that, right? Did you live a life that was geared towards the acquisition of money? Oh yeah, I did. Well, welcome to heaven, but you didn't follow my way. <laughs> I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm just talking about the way of Jesus. And of course, the Sermon on the Mount isn't a list of things you do to get to heaven when you die. No. 
it's a list it's a description of what it is to be a follower of the way of jesus what yeah. his people look like yeah and it's not about again it's not about the rules that's the whole point about jesus it's actually yeah it's about the heart it's not rules it's not rules it's like are you the kind of person that went through life not having to constantly show outward displays of your own patriotism or allegiance to the, your institutions, you know? Yeah. And then if you, if you can't honestly say yes, then I think Jesus can ask you, well, why not? What kind of person were you? Yeah. Why did you feel the need to keep cleaving to these different institutions? Which by the way, every single one of them, there isn't a single country on earth that is not founded on genocide, rape, murder, acquisition of land like i'm i'm today it's it's canada day today and so i'm i'm not i'm not celebrating it but like it's you know it's canada day and then all these patriotic canadians like there isn't a single scrap of land that hasn't been taken from another person in canada right any white person is living on land and i realized i i realized this today and i went and had a look at there's a website it's really cool there's a website you can find uh i forget what it's called native native hyphen land native dash land it's called and you just type in your postcode or your town that you grew up in, and it will tell you which native groups used to own that land or be in charge of it. Wow. And I have discovered that I grew up on Blackfoot territory. You know, I just discovered that. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do with that. I, I didn't steal that land myself personally, but I grew up on land that was stolen. And I just did. And that's and part of my truth. Beneficiary of. I'm a beneficiary of stolen land. Yeah. And 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 right now Canada is going through huge. I'm getting a bit teary. Huh. Um, you got you got to look at what happened to. <laughs> this is fun. I didn't know I was going to get teary. Yeah, you know, go and look at what happened to residential schools that the church used to run for the government. You know, and and all these native children killed or died and then put into mass graves and you know it's just genocide like this is why christianity why would you pledge allegiance to a church why would you pledge allegiance to a country built on the genocide of children just go and research it this is what's happening they're just discovering it now you know 715 unmarked graves were discovered in british columbia and another 200 or something saskatchewan and that is what every country does, you know, and that's Canada, which everybody is the most boring, kind, nice nation in the world. It's built on the blood of murdered children. And there is not a single nation. There's not a single flag that you could look at that is, doesn't have a similar story, right? Why are you pledging allegiance to that thing? Mm-hmm. This is why there's no such thing as a Christian nation. There are people who are trying to follow Jesus in the midst of these things. But when you like add the Christian label on top of it, all you're doing is telling a lie. You're just telling a lie. These are not Christian institutions. So this is partly where this theologian Stanley Hauerwas is very good. Because he talks about, he says, like the most important thing is just tell the truth. You know, don't live a lie. All these patriots who think that there's a Christian nation, they're just perpetuating just this a, a lie that's stinking to heaven, mm. you know? And he, so he's like, just tell the truth. And it's part of this. It, this is what I mean. It's like the truth telling is part is connected actually to the patriotism. It's like when you are sentimentally trumpeting your own country, you are participating in a lie. So yeah. just tell the truth. And that doesn't mean like, like, like I said, I don't, I can't personally do anything to the Blackfoot tribe. But I can at least acknowledge that I came from, that I'm part of that world, right? Like, part of being a Christian is just acknowledging that we all participate, that we are beneficiaries of of bad things, and not to then baptize that and pretend like it was just this wonderful thing. Yeah. Which is what Christian patriotism tries to do. It tries to take the idea that, oh, we're a Christian nation, so... So we should celebrate the triumph of Christian civilization. It's like, no, that's, these are not good. This wasn't a good thing. So, yeah, that's, you know, that's where I think being honest, it it also just means sometimes admitting that, that we don't know, 
what to do now. That we're not triumphant victors. That we actually have lost power, and maybe that's a good thing. You know, I often feel this about a lot of Christians who get very, you know, kind of fearful and angry about the idea that they've lost control, and it's not a Christian nation anymore. And I'm like, you know, the world has seen what happens when Christians get their fingers on the buttons of power, and it hasn't been good. Yeah. So. Maybe Christians not being in power anymore isn't the worst thing that's ever happened. It's certainly been utterly corrosive to Christianity. So Stephen, that's so helpful and moving to think about it in the, in those terms because it's I didn't go there on Sunday when I preached about this, but this right. uh, swearing of oaths and and what that does for us in terms of swearing allegiance to anything other than Jesus. Yeah, um, because actually what Jesus is saying, and we saw this all the way through Mark's gospel, is abandon leave behind yeah. all the places of power, the places that give you so-called identity and agency over other people and come and follow me. Essentially, that was yeah. the call way through, through Mark. Yeah, yeah. You know, challenging the power structures, saying, come and follow me. And we sit here. And I hadn't, I hadn't made that kind of very clear sense in which we, we with our life, okay, I, I can't remember the last time, really, that I swore an oath of any meaningful kind other than, like I said, in front of yeah. Bishop. Um, but it's not a regular occurrence for me, but actually there's a day-to-day patriotic swearing of allegiance with my choices, with the way that I think, with my right to what it means to be British or whatever it might yeah. be. Is well, there. this is one of those times when like charismatics are quite useful. When charismatics use language of, bind- have you ever heard of like the binding, like don't bind yeah. yourself and binding and loosing and charismatics yeah. love that stuff. And that's, that's a really useful way of thinking about it. It's like every time you do that, like, even if, every time you wear a shirt with a logo on it, I'm not saying all logos are bad or all football teams are bad. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like. That's good because it's the Euros this, this weekend. So well, we exactly. To, this is you exactly are binding yourself to something. You are, you are putting out a little tendril and, and that tendril is hooking itself onto something else and you are associating yourself with, some, with another larger institution, right? And it's and interesting what that does to you. shaping your identity. Yeah, I was just going to say it shapes you as well. Yeah. So it's like, be careful who you bind yourself to. Yeah. Because, you know? I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a Tottenham fan and, and it's pretty bad times at the moment. <laughs> and um, honestly, it changes my mood when we've lost. Or it changes. Now, yeah, I know right. that at a surface level, you're like, you know, well, that's just because you're just passionate about the game or whatever. But actually, there is something in there about some kind of, I take a pride when we're doing well. There's something in there yeah. about my sense of my ego has been boosted because they're doing well. I mean, it's just maybe yeah. I'm kind of getting into it too much, but there is that, you're right. There is that sense of attachment and all that does yeah. to you as you process these things. Well, and you can see where like, we let your yes be yes and your no be no in a way is to think of it as like become more self-contained. Like mm. don't rely on other things to do the work, the heavy lifting for you kind of thing. And, and, like, habit- and habitually live out this truth telling. So is yeah. Telling isn't reserved for the, the special moments in life. No. Truth telling is it's just be a truthful person. So this is what Jesus is saying. It's like, don't tell the truth, be a truthful person. Mm. Don't perform truth, just just be it, you know. And I think part going back to that kind of sense of self as well is that I, I explored and things I explored on Sunday was one of the reasons that we struggle to tell the truth fundamentally is, is about self-preservation. And um, yes, uh, and, yeah. and again, I kind of yeah, exactly borrowed from my favorite book recommendation from Dig Deeper, which is um, the slavery of death. And yeah, uh, right. The idea that actually truth telling, um, if that's about human connection, if it's about if I'm if I'm truth telling in a in a real way with somebody else, I'm not yeah. hiding myself. I'm not fearful of another person. That yeah. shows that I am unguarded, undefended, and I'm able to connect with you or whoever I'm yeah. speaking at a genuine heart-to-heart level that is not hidden or um, broken in any way yeah. because I'm not worried about my own self-preservation. I'm not thinking about it. Wow, see, I never thought of it this way, but you're absolutely right. I haven't thought about that way before, but it, it's going to tie in really well with the stuff that's going to come up about resolving conflict or clutching tightly to your own rights Yeah. about the, when somebody sues you or that kind of stuff, which we're going to come up with in well, a think second. About, think about the times when you and I might be tempted to lie maybe more overtly or even more subtly allow someone to believe something that isn't true the reason yeah. we do that is we're worried about what people will think of us yeah it's a true. self 
preservation. Yeah. Or, or even yeah. we kind of lie or we kind of, again, omit, omit certain truths um, because we are fearful of, well, not fearful, we're, we're trying to gain something. Again, usually it's somebody else's advantage, all again rooted in that self-preservation thing. Yeah. Like, the reason yeah. we are not truthful is because we're fearful. And the reason that we're fearful fundamentally is a fear of death. And that kind of what we yeah, want. Yeah, wow. See, if I was a charismatic, I'd be going, whoa, man, that's Amen. good, man. I'll take that. And it, you're absolutely right, because it's going to show up when Jesus says, do not worry. I tell you, you know, don't worry. Look, look at the grass. They're clothed even better than you will. Look at the birds. Yeah, it's that think how much happens in this world socially and politically because we fear our own we're just preserving our own life yeah. at the expense of others basically yeah. but a kind of a fear of death which of course in the book of hebrews jesus they, they they recognize that the cross releases us from the fear of death not death because you're going to die john but you are released from the fear of death yes which is the thing that causes so much problems yeah. right and that's what it works itself out politically and socially in our institutions that we yeah. build these things to protect us i can we i know we've only got a few minutes left but i want to go on to the nuance but i don't know what you want to go the nuance of when truth telling it actually becomes quite tricky but I want oh yeah to... let's talk about that in a second but can i just finish with verse 37 yeah because this is all part of my so jesus says rather let your yes be yes and you don't be no because anything else comes from the evil one right yeah uh, and the word there is sometimes translated as the evil one or the ones who belong to the evil, like evil people. Yeah. And it's a kind of a deliberately obscure word because sometimes in the New Testament, it from context clues, it looks like it's referring to Satan. And other times it looks like it's referring to humans. Right. So it's the word itself is sort of deliberately vague. And I think it's poner, poneros. I can't remember the exact word. But. The, uh, the idea here, remember I've talked about how Satan is a political demon, right? Mm -hmm. Remember I've talked about that. Like, you got to pay attention. Whenever Satan shows up, it's always about power. Yeah. That's what he does. He's the, he's the Lord of the, the nations. He's the Lord of the rule. He's the ruler of the spirit of the air. He's the one who offers Jesus the nations. Yeah. He's the one who uh, had the power and then uh, was set up by God to sort of rule the nations and then got proud and wanted to rule even God and then was sent down, right? Like that's the story of the Satan. And here Jesus brings him in when he's talking about oaths. It's political. It's about power. He's like, don't be like the people who are following the way of Satan. Don't bind yourself to these things. So that's all I wanted to point out that wherever you see Satan, there's always something to do with power and allegiance and even nations. It's, they're always, they always shows up within one or two verses on either side of Satan. There's always something to do with politics. And he's also, of course, the father of lies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And these are the lies. This is why I like the Stanley Harris. I was saying like, he's just like one of the main things you'd have to tell followers of Jesus is just, tell the truth just live honest lives because yeah. anything else is from the father of lies yeah yeah so, so yeah truth telling let's i mean now now we want to talk about the nuances of the nuance because like i said scott mcknight raises this question and says you know you're hiding and frank in your in your loft you're you're saving trying to save her life and there's a knock at the door mm. and the authorities say what are you, you know are you hiding anybody in your what would uh, you do well, it's interesting because I preached on this and then someone mentioned that in um, Corrie Ten Boom, I don't, uh, I haven't read the book, not for a long time anyway. Yeah. Um, I've read bits of the book in the past, but there's a, in Corrie Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian who yeah. was in her attic. Um, and apparently there's, there's either a story told, I don't think it was um, the Ten Boom family, of one family that felt so convicted by this verse that they were convicted that whatever the knock at the door was, yeah, they would tell the truth. Right. So they were right. still hiding Jews in the attic. Yeah. If that knock at the door came, and if they said, "Are you, you know, do you have anyone here?" They would say, "Yes, we are," and would essentially hand themselves over and, and trust God for that. Now, so this is where the ethical debate comes in about you know when does truth telling because truth truth telling is all well and good, but there are 
there are a lot of times when actually it's not as simple as that. And particularly um, where uh, the context is really different. So what I said is that, um, is that truth telling is contextual. That's not to say, you know, you can be fast and loose with when you tell the truth, but depending on the context Mm -hmm. depends on the appropriateness of the truth telling and what Scott McKnight talks about is, uh, and what he, he appeals to basically Bonhoeffer because Bonhoeffer, of course, was his conspirator. He conspired to kill Hitler. He was arrested put, uh, and eventually killed, uh, executed for his for mm-hmm. his cons- conspiracies with others. And Bonhoeffer apparently wrote a an essay called "What Does It Mean to Tell the Truth?" while he was in prison, awaiting his death, essentially. And what he essentially says, and I think this is where I would land. I'm quite persuaded by this. Is mm-hmm. that Truth-telling is contextual, and that context is relationship. Hmm. And in addition to that, truth-telling is as much about being true to people and being true to God as it is about the words that you utter. Yeah, right, right. Well, and probably so even more so. Yeah, There's more to truth-telling and being truthful yeah. Yeah, than right. simply speaking truthful words. Yeah. Uh, and so if we are to be true to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If we're to be true to that, sometimes that might mean being dishonest with our words. Yeah. To enable that. And he says, you know, we're in a broken world and we're left with ethical choices, which are not perfect. The examples I gave, for example, is that if if somebody on the street asked me an intimate question about me and my wife, for example. Right. The Christian answer, the, the truthful answer, as it were, would be yeah. to tell the truth. Yeah. But the context of the relationship I have with that person. Yeah. Would You'd be, be betraying a, your wife for the I sake of a stranger. I would not be being true to her. Well, I mean, imagine if your daughter brought you something that she made, like a piece of art or something. And she says, Daddy, do you like it? And the, and the honest answer is, I don't understand what it is. It's, it's a piece of rubbish that you drew, put a crayon on. But what you say is, I love it. Or... Yeah that's really clever of you or yeah. something right i mean you that's not lying you're you're preserving the the spirit of a little person <laughs> right and i think that, and and so bonhoeffer interestingly kind of says this is how you decide what is appropriate right in the truth telling and he he basically I'll, I'll just go through them there are three fundamental principle points he puts he says you can know when something should be what you should say in any given truth-telling situation by firstly recognizing who calls on me to speak and what Mm. authorizes me to speak Mm -hmm. in other words you're identifying are they right to ask me right yeah and am i right to be the one to talk yeah it might be that someone says oh i've heard it said that so-and-so is having issues in their marriage you may have the truth as it were but you may not have the right to speak into that yeah, because you may not. That may not be information that you're. Uh, it's appropriate to share, and equally, yeah. it may not be appropriate for that person to ask. The second point he says is recognize the place in which I stand. So you know, do I stand there as as the person who's married? Do I stand there as the friend? Do I stand? You know, what is my role within this conversation? And the third thing he says is, uh, you put the subject about whom you speak into the center of that truth telling experience. Okay. So the knock comes on the door. Yeah. Are you hiding Jewish people? And yeah. to be truthful to God and to be truthful to to the greater ethic of saving lives. Yeah. You say, no, I'm not, because you know that they have ill, uh, bad motives. You know, the position that you have is one as a friend. Yeah. And you are preserving the life of those who are. So that's his that's his way of kind of creating an ethic and a shape around truth telling. Yeah, okay. I like that because it's like, I mean, what's happening is with this yes, yes, and no, no thing is is Jesus is is effectively asking you to become self-contained, right? To to not be somebody who's just swayed by the mob sentiment or outward shows. And I can see this, what Bonhoeffer's talking about here, doing that as well. It's kind of like, no, you're a moral agent. You have the right, you can choose. You can decide what's going on here you have it you're self-contained you don't just because some guy in a uniform asks you a question doesn't mean you have to give him exactly the answer that he wants yeah you get to choose they don't get to choose yeah 
And I think that, part of the challenge yeah. in my job is that I'm, for example, I'm quite, I'm privy to people's yeah. lives. And even just as employer, I'm privy to things that I am privy to. And if someone were to ask me out of the blue, well, what about this person? Actually, it's appropriate for me to say, I can't tell you that. that that's being, again, true to the people that I am placing at the center yeah. of this conversation. I um, mean, there's a difference between saying I'm not going to tell you and, and lying as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And like, boundary, but, but don't we feel yeah. awkward? Don't we feel awkward about that when we when we put a boundary in front of a person and say, "Yeah, we do." Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to tell you that, and people kind of feel, "Oh, yeah, God, you know." It's kind of part of this idea of like followers of Jesus will just be awkward grit in the wheels sometimes. I mean, they don't they don't just automatically do whatever it is that yeah. society says you should do, right. and it doesn't mean that they are agitating to destroy society. Yeah. Which is partly why, you know, this idea of Christians in leadership, by the way, which is like, well, are you saying Christians shouldn't be in leadership? I'm like, well, I think more what I'm saying is followers of Jesus should give the world the chance to reject them rather than them rejecting the world. So if you want to get a position of power, you say, I will take this position of power. Thank you very much. But I won't uh, press a button that will kill a human being. Yeah. <laughs> Do you still want me? That yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Right. And. And all I'm saying is it makes your job a lot harder. There are lots, being a follower of Jesus makes a lot of jobs a lot harder, but it doesn't automatically mean that the world is going to reject you. Sometimes you can give the, the option to them to receive you or not. But it's usually a lot harder when you're in it. Oh, of course it is. It's much, but, in some ways, it's easier to set out your stool at the beginning and say, yeah, this is all the these Christians who think, oh, I'll just kind of hide my values. And then when I'm in a position of power, I'll reveal and I'll be a good influence. That never happens. You yeah. always get corrupted because yeah. you've had to you've had to compromise and corrupt so much by the time you even get to that position. Yeah, partly what happens to I talk to Christians in politics all the time, and this kind of thing happens all the time. Yeah, and, and it's just worth thinking that you can be a, a a person of influence without having to be in the official corridors of power as well, yeah. and that Christians on the margins just have just have to be cleverer. But by the way, if you find yourself on the margins, well, you just now found yourself with all the people Jesus wants you to be with anyway. So, I mean, to, to say, oh, if I act like a follower of Jesus, I'll just be on the margins of the corridors of power. It's like, uh, that's kind of the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's wrap things up there for another evening, Stephen. Oh, what a great conversation. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I, I wondered whether we were going to have enough to talk about. And look at that. Yeah, that was five verses and we emotionally engaged. <laughs> we've gone well over and um, some really grateful, really challenging stuff. And um, next week we'll be looking at very famous passage. Yeah, right. Turning the other cheek. And uh, so we'll be looking at that next week. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com. <laughs>